Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. Forty-one-year-old female here. I recently listened to the podcast about someone having recurring tornado dreams. As soon as I heard the word tornado, visions and memories started coming back regarding my own dreams. I haven't had them recently. The last one was probably three years ago, which was a nice change. The one to start these years of scary dreams was the worst. I was about ten years old, and I didn't have the greatest life as a child. There were a lot of unknowns with many ups and downs. I won't go into all of that right now. Enough rambling. Let's talk about the topic at hand. I was always scared in my room as a kid. I wasn't scared of the dark. I just had a vivid imagination. I would see items and think that they were all kinds of crazy different things. This is why I would always sleep with a protective barrier, aka my blanket over my head. One night, I began to dream about the town that was near my rural home. A friend and I were walking down the middle of this small main road, going through the center of town with various car lots, gas stations, and a popular ice cream franchise as they truly were. As we neared the ice cream place, which was toward the end of town, the skies grew dark, more rapidly than normal. As in any Midwestern town, everyone had started to take cover. We were not aware that there had been a tornado warning. We were the only people out in this deserted town. We began to run to find cover. As in any dream, we used our best judgment and ran down the center of the open street. Brilliant. My friend decided to veer off and lie in this deep ditch by the railroad tracks. She yelled at me. Come on! But just then the tornado manifested immediately behind me. I turned and looked to see a huge black tornado with these red, evil eyes. It had no pupils, just red, lit up eyes. I began to run down the road and it followed. It kept pace with me and started to whistle. It wasn't like the whistling that you would hear from the wind, though, it was like a person whistling. A strong, ever-changing, off-key group of notes. It was loud. As I was running, I looked down to find a pothole filled with water, and I saw the tornado's face, for lack of a better term, staring back. The whistling continued as I ran to the edge of town. I started screaming, which woke me up from my dream. I lay there with my eyes open, under the blanket, filled with fear. I could still hear the whistling. I was frozen with fear that there was something in my room. I knew that I couldn't just stay there, but the whistling was so loud that I just wanted to go back to sleep. That wasn't happening, though. 
I took a deep breath and jumped to the floor, opening my door and bolting across the hall to my dad's room. The whistling stopped as soon as I left my room. I woke my dad up crying, saying that there was something in my room and it wouldn't stop whistling. I had a bad dream, but the noises were still there when I woke up. Please check my room, I told him. He had this typical response, You just had a nightmare, go back to bed, you're fine. I did just that, but I was sleepless the entire night. This was the beginning of my ongoing tornado dreams until life began to settle down for me. I've researched the cause of these dreams and I've found, as the podcast has mentioned, that they come from a place of chaos. I believe mine stemmed from a lack of control or stability in my life. The human mind is an extraordinary machine. Anytime my life would spiral for one reason or another, the dreams would really amp up. My only question is, why did the whistling not stop? My family moved into our home in the mid-90s when I was in kindergarten. It was an apartment in a newly constructed block of flats, situated in a new residential neighborhood at that time. The whole area used to be populated by pig and chicken farms, which disappeared as our country, Singapore, rapidly developed. The oldest building in our neighborhood was a Thai Buddhist temple constructed in the 60s, that faced our apartment. On the first day in our new flat, our parents told me and my brother that we had to pick which bed we wanted in our shared bedroom. My brother, who was a year younger than me, had his own room, but since we were still quite small, our parents wanted us to room together. This led to a bunch of squabbling as each bed had different cute cartoon bedsheets, and we both wanted the one next to the windows because it looked the cutest. Silly, I know, but we were kindergartners. To end the quarrel, I told my brother, let me have the bed by the window. This way, if a monster comes through, it'll get to me first, and you can run away to safety. I was really proud of myself, for coming up with that bit of nonsense because my brother immediately accepted and I got the bed with the nicer sheets. Several weeks later, on a particularly sweltering and humid night, I was flapping the curtains about, trying to get some airflow in. My brother was fast asleep, but I've always been cursed with insomnia and the heat did not help. Lying in bed and looking up at the windows, I could see a bit of the sky and a few other buildings when I held the curtain away. I turned for just a minute to look at my room, and when I moved my gaze back to the windows, there it was, a silhouette of an upside-down woman, just her head and shoulders with a wild mess of hair stared back at me. It was as if I had caught her, just as she was climbing down outside our flat. 
claws gripping the top of the window frame. Only the window bars separated us from each other as the frosted glass window panes were pushed open, and for a few seconds, we stared at each other. She was pitch black, with no features, looking very much like a shadow or a silhouette, but in full 3D. Neither of us made a sound, save for the rushing of blood in my ear. Still gripping onto the edge of my curtain, I slammed it back to cover the window. I held my breath and prayed that the thing would leave. Then I heard it. The creature scuttled down the apartment, her claws making god-awful noise as they gripped the sides of the building. How did I not hear it before as she climbed towards me? I did not sleep a wink that night. But as the days, months, and years passed without further paranormal incident, I relaxed and went about my life. That is until I was about ten years old. It was around sunset, and in my culture, this is another witching hour of sorts, as jinns and other ghouls are believed to roam about, so you should stay indoors, with your doors and windows shut. I was sitting on the sofa in the living room reading a book, facing the balcony where my dad kept his ornamental fish pond. Engrossed in the book, I did not realize that a lot of time had passed until I heard the call to sunset prayer on the radio. I glanced up lazily to see if the balcony doors were shut. The sliding doors to the balcony were shut, but even though they were made of tinted glass, I could still make out that someone was on the balcony. At first, I thought it was my father, strangely dressed in a full suit with shoes on, pacing the balcony. Back and forth he went, not making a sound, despite the raised wooden panels and pebbles my dad had placed on the floors. Shoes in the house are a definite no-no in our culture so I was confused to see my dad doing that. Papa, I called out a few times. Just as the silhouette stopped and slowly turned to face me, my mother yelled from the kitchen, Your dad's in his room napping. Can you wake him, please? It's sunset, and dinner's almost ready. I had turned to face the direction of my mother's voice, and upon hearing that, I spun around to look at the balcony, hoping to catch whatever it was. But it was empty, the sliding doors just slightly ajar. I ran down the short hallway to my parents' bedroom and yanked the door open. There was my real father, snoring away. Another instance happened during my last night in that apartment. My parents had divorced and my mom and brother had moved out years prior. It was just my dad, myself, and my cat, Jerry, in the flat. We had just sold it, and we were going to move to our new place the next day, so our home was virtually empty. Any slight noise echoed off the walls since everything we had was mostly packed and shipped away. As usual, I could not sleep, 
and 16-year-old me had been browsing the internet into the wee hours of the morning. It was around 3 a.m. when I felt a sudden sense of unease. I shut down my PC in what was once my brother's room and moved to my room at the end of the hall. That sense of unease lingered, so from my room I whispered as loudly as possible to call my cat. Not a second later, and a slower, older, mocking female voice said the same thing. Jerry. Pulling the syllables longer each time and saying my cat's name over and over. They were not echoes, and my cat knew it too, as she came running wildly, fur standing on end, scrambling into my room, and then clawing her way into my wardrobe, where she remained until morning. I slammed the door shut the moment my cat entered the room safely. Almost two decades later, I asked my dad about that old flat and if there was something up with it. He was puzzled, claiming that there should have been nothing paranormal, since it was such a young estate with no history of human occupation beyond the isolated farms and temple. He had even visited the construction site several times as it was being built, and prior to us even entering the home. My dad had spent the night there by himself, cleaning the place spiritually and praying over it. But some places, devoid of human activity, tend to have clusters of otherworldly activity that might not take too easily to the human encroachment of their spaces. Perhaps these were just some entities passing through. My childhood and family life while living there was filled with bouts of unhappiness, rage, deep depression, and intense verbal and physical fights. It was where my brother and I found out that our mom was cheating on our dad, where my dad had smashed every single vase and expensive decoration in our home until every inch of the floor was carpeted with broken porcelain. It was where one of our domestic workers attempted to inflict black magic on my dad and was caught in the act, and where I spent a few years myself dabbling in elemental magic in the naive hopes of making things better. Whatever might be there, I hope the next occupants have fared better. I was eight or nine years old and had just returned to Texas from visiting my father in Washington State for the summer. While I was away, my mom and older brother moved into a new house. One afternoon, I noticed the trim around the bedroom door in the room me and my mom shared was pretty loose. As I investigated it, I realized that I could pull it away from the wall and behind it I found this tiny gold locket and chain. Afraid that my mother would take it from me and try to find the owner or something, I decided not to tell anybody about it. 
A few nights later, my brother was staying the night with a friend, and it was just me and my mother at home. Like always, I stuffed the locket into my pillowcase, and I lay my head on top for the night. We were both sleeping in the queen bed that we shared as always, but this night my mom woke me up a couple of times, kind of irritatingly mumbling for me to stop it. She's known for having very vivid dreams and even talking in her sleep, so I just brushed it off. This time she very sternly shouted at me, Stop pulling my hair. I quickly rolled over to tell her that I wasn't, but immediately I was frozen, completely terrified, and unable to speak or look away. Beside my mother's head, her hair was floating out to the side, but not straight out like you would imagine static or bedhead would. The ends of her hair, they were dangling as if they were being held up by an invisible hand. She noticed her hair and that I was on the other side, staring at her. It dropped down like normal, and she quickly scooped me up, leapt out of bed, and rushed us into the living room. We just sat there, with all the lights on, unable to sleep for the rest of the night. We never spoke to each other about what had happened. I'm not sure why, though. I'm 31 now, and several times throughout the years, I've thought about asking because I know without a doubt that she hasn't forgotten. You don't just forget something like that. I've never mentioned it to anyone because, duh, they'd think that I was lying or crazy. I still don't know if it had anything to do with the locket that I found, but since that night, I never saw it again. Every time I would see a gold locket, I immediately thought of that night. I feel this sense of panic, wanting to run away. We moved out of that house shortly after that happened, and now it's been demolished. But I drive past that exact location, to and from work, every day. And I think about that night, or if I should try and bring it up to my mom. I love the idea of ghosts. I listen to this podcast, so that should tell you something. But I'm also a scientist, so I don't claim to believe in ghosts. I live an evidence-based existence, but that doesn't mean I haven't had experiences that I can't easily explain. The only two that read as paranormal both happened only months apart in a single studio apartment, which I rented while in graduate school in New Haven, Connecticut. I'm happy to share these experiences, but know that going in, these aren't really stories. There is no narrative arc here, just two experiences in a single apartment in the single year that I lived there. Both happened in the middle of the night and woke both me and my partner from sleep. The first woke the two of us with an incredibly loud crash and the feeling of being pelted with pebbles. Remember that this is a studio apartment, so the kitchen living area, and sleeping area are all conjoined into one single space. We turned the light on, hearts already racing, to find the apartment 
filled with small fragments of thick glass. It didn't take long to understand the source of the glass, if not the cause of the disturbance. I had kept bakeware on top of the refrigerator, a stack of metal baking trays and tempered glass casserole dishes. One of those glass casserole dishes had landed on the floor and shattered, and tempered glass, of course, does more than just shatter. It explodes into small glass nuggets that now were everywhere. The kitchen counter, living room floor, windowsills, bed, you name it. I would be finding glass in odd places until I moved out months later. The easy explanation for the disturbance is that a vibrating refrigerator, over time, sent the dish to the edge and ultimately off onto the floor. But the stack of bakeware was tidy and in the center of the refrigerator top when I went to bed. All of the other bakeware continued to be tidy and centered even after the disturbance. The entire stack wasn't vibrated to the edge, causing a fall. A single dish seemed to have been lifted out of the stack and dropped onto the floor, while both of us in the apartment slept. The second and stranger disturbance happened a few months later. Same studio apartment, once again in the middle of the night. My partner and I woke to loud banging sounds coming from the direction of the kitchen. The sleeping area is continuous with the kitchen, so we could easily see into it while still in bed. The noise sounded like a fist banging loudly against the metal cabinet doors, loud enough to wake us. Awake since the first bang, we sat up, staring into the dark kitchen, but saw nothing unusual. Several more bangs occurred while we were awake and watching. Then, while still watching, both cabinet doors under the sink swung open with incredible force, and all of the cleaning supplies we kept under the sink were thrown out onto the kitchen floor. I have told this story to friends, and two explanations are offered neither of which have ever satisfied me. The first is sewer gas, but know that we experienced no odor, and I have never known gas, even exploding gas, to bang on cabinet doors as if knocking to get in or out. The second explanation offered is rats, but rodents leave behind evidence of their existence and I never had any reason to suspect an infestation of large mammals in the apartment. Rats also aren't known to knock loudly on cabinet doors, or have the power to smash open two of them simultaneously and toss out bottles of cleaning fluid. I only stayed in that apartment for a single year. I didn't move out because of the trouble. I moved because my partner and I got a place together that was nicer than either of our individual apartments. I wasn't scared back then, and I don't want to invoke ghosts now to explain what happened, but I have always found it odd that, in all of my 45 years, 
the only two paranormal disturbances I've experienced happened in one year in that one studio apartment in Connecticut. Something that I've taken note of while listening to so many of these stories is the prevalence of creeks or running water near haunted or paranormal locations. This was extremely compelling, as I have a few stories from my childhood home, one that has a creek on its property. I've always subscribed to the idea that negative energies attract certain things around you. Part of the reason I do It's because of what was constantly going on inside of my house. With my family of five, computers going in and out on a weekly basis, a constant and known affair my dad was on at the time, there was no shortage of energies of malicious entities that could easily attach themselves to you. It was like the ultimate melting pot, and I even think that an entity attached to my mom during this time in our family's life. From my earliest memories, I had terrible sleep habits. This was due to a number of things, consistent nightmares, sleep paralysis, disembodied voices, the whole deal, every time something different. But it was always in my bedroom. I would like to think that most of these entities were friendly, maybe on some kind of journey towards the lake the creek ended at though I couldn't say that about the spirits that festered in the house in the years later. A lot of the spirits would be mostly friendly. A minor story was that one time in the middle of the night, I thought to myself, for whatever reason, show yourself by pushing my bedroom door, only to be responded immediately with a bang and my door swinging wide open as if I were demanding it. I didn't sense any strong negative entity, from that event. For a bit of context, to understand the type of energy that propagated throughout the entire house, this was around the time when my mom kind of got fed up with my dad's constant affairs, gaslighting, and overall abusive behavior. This was also around the time that he got a job doing contract work a couple of states away. My mom's overall condition was to believe that she was insane and all of her concerns around the family. Me, my mom, and my oldest brother all stayed behind at the house on the creek, but I definitely felt like something truly demonic was festering there, feeding off of the negative energies that were marinating in this house, and the stresses of packing definitely didn't help. My insomnia got comparatively worse. I would be woken up at odd hours at night, typically around three, which is stereotypical, right? And in the static of my eyes adjusting to the incredibly dark night, I would see dark, slender figures in the corners of my bedroom. These were not good, almost satanic compared to that door ghost. I would be frozen as their staticky, slender bodies fed off of the fears of my adolescent, young mind. I could almost feel them staring at me through their pitch-black, eyeless heads, I felt anger and hatred in my room from that point on. Even on the brightest of days, I would be shrouded in mysterious darkness 
and any attempt to turn on the lights would be proven fruitless due to the just-bought faulty bulbs. I would only go into that room to sleep. Only Lord knows what kind of evil lurks in those shadows. To the demons that did lurk in my childhood home in our last couple of months there, let's never meet again. My grandpa passed away a year before I was born, so I never knew him. I barely knew what he looked like, as my family had next to no pictures of him. He was a rancher for most of his life, and I grew up on what was once his ranch with my grandma and aunt. The way the house was set up, the TV was on the same wall as the hallway, and there was a couch across the room facing it. The hallway had my bedroom on one side, my aunt's bedroom on the other, and a bathroom on the end. So one day, when I was about 11 years old, I was sitting on the couch. It was pretty late at night, and I was the only one awake in the house. All the lights in the house were off, with the only source of light coming from the TV. I was leaning on the arm of the couch when I looked up towards the hallway and saw a man walking towards me. I only saw him for a couple of seconds, and when I blinked, he was gone. Even though there wasn't much light, I knew that it wasn't my grandma or aunt because they were both very short women, and this was a tall man. He had on a cowboy hat, button-up shirt, and a large belt buckle. I didn't say anything about this experience at first because I wasn't sure I had actually seen this or if anyone would even believe me. Then, years later, I was talking to my mom about ghosts and I mentioned this night. After explaining what I saw, she calmly said, Sounds like my dad and went on as though it was no big deal. My grandma ended up passing away when I was 16. When my family and I were going through her belongings afterward, I found a picture of my grandpa. He was wearing a button-up shirt, cowboy hat, blue jeans, and a big gold belt buckle. After seeing that picture, I'm certain that what I saw that night when I was 11 years old, was my grandpa. My father has always been a contractor. Every house I've ever lived in has been one that he has built. In 2008, my father purchased a property with a torn-down, sad-looking house. The property was lined with an old, dead-looking fence with many breaks in it, just enough for the house to creep through in certain spots. I was able to do a walkthrough of the house before my dad tore it down to build his current home. As I walked in the door, I felt a bad vibe. 
There was a metal crucifix attached to every doorframe. The house was dark, even with its windows and power still on. Wandering into the backyard, I noticed there's not only the shed in front of the house, but also three more sheds in the backyard. Each shed was about big enough to fit a mattress in, and surprise, surprise, all three sheds had a full queen-sized mattress in them. At this point in time, I'm questioning what this place really was. It is revealed to me that this was a foster home prior to our purchase. Not a loving, good foster home, one with a history of abuse and, unfortunately, death. My stepbrothers and I moved to the basement intrigued by abandoned toys and clear red flags. In the basement, there was, of course, a metal plaque with our good old pal Jesus hanging above the entryway. Not only that, but there was a crawl space that caught my eye. It was four or so feet off the ground, maybe seven feet in length in the cement wall. It was big enough to fit in, so being adventurous and trying to show off for my older stepbrothers, I climbed in. It was only about three feet high, but very long into the wall. I quickly realized I was not the only one to venture in here. I looked to my left to find a coloring book and crayons. Abandoned. They were still in their places from once coloring hands. This eerie feeling grew deeper and I lost my courage. I exited the basement with a sense of dread. Now here's some backstory. The foster home, we found out, was run by a woman and her husband, who also took custody of some of her grandchildren. It was a large mix of children. Now, I got way too curious, and I asked around my small town. I received nothing but sighs and sad stories of the children being neglected, and the foster father being jailed, released, and then jailed again. One specific instance was that of a four-year-old boy. He was left under the supervision of the other children at the home. He choked on a hot dog and died. The neighbor, who is still my dad's neighbor to this day, is a nurse, but she wasn't home when the children ran to her house to get help. 911 did not make it there on time. The other instance was just as tragic. A foster child, almost 18, had lost his ability to walk years and years prior. He was wheelchair-bound for the rest of his life and sadly turned to drugs. He overdosed on heroin in the home. Now, my father knocked down this house, but we kept the garage. We moved in. There were always noises, but my dad, a lifelong contractor, could always explain it away. Until one night, we were both in bed in our rooms upstairs. It was late, and I was about to be asleep when I heard an enormous crash. It sounded like something heavy had fallen from the ceiling in the hallway connecting to our rooms. Ellie? My dad rang out. What the fuck are you doing? He persisted from his bed. I yelled back through my shut door in the dark that I, like him, was in bed. He went silent after that and we both went back to sleep. I often felt somebody was home when they weren't. 
I would be in the shower and I could clearly hear somebody walking downstairs. It would get to the point where I would get out of the shower and I would run to a window to see if my dad's truck was there. More than often, I was alone. To get away, I would cruise down the road, the single road that connected my town to another. There was always this large crucifix I saw and connected to it as I drove by. I needed to know why I felt so badly for this unknown person. Gone too soon? Probably. Aren't we all? After years and years of driving by this crucifix and feeling a sort of soul tie-in, I finally googled accidents on that road. That's when I saw the last name of one of the foster children in my house. She hadn't died in the crash, but she had been severely injured. However, her boyfriend did not make it. They were driving only going about 37 to 40 miles per hour in the rain when he lost control of the car and lost his life. He was only 16. I cried reading this article. I knew there was a reason that I had felt so strongly towards this crucifix. One night, as I lay in bed, I heard an ecstatic, attention-grabbing, yo! I sat up and stared into my open, empty closet. Silence. Just typing this out, I have tears streaming down my face. It was so clear and so inviting. Thankfully, I wasn't insane. I had my best friends over one day, and as I went upstairs to grab a few things from my room, they sat in the living room. Hey! They both heard it. Described as a happy type of hello by both of them, I felt relieved. My dad would never admit that something was up, but I felt it and my friends heard that audible, hey. I have never, nor would I ever reach out to any of these people. I have, though, thoroughly creeped the social media accounts of the children that did live in and survive that house of my father's. They say, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all, so I guess I'll just say, yo, to the crucifix as I drive by, and the loud thuds when I visit that house. I wish those children didn't have to sleep in sheds. I wish nobody was hurt in any way. But I can still feel it. The author of the story, which takes place in Singapore, mentioned hearing marbles rolling around in their ceiling at night, and they attributed it to something paranormal. Not to discredit the other parts of the story, especially those visions and hearing that voice, but I actually edited out the part about the marbles, and I'll tell you why. I used to hear the same thing in my grandma's house whenever I'd stay the night, so when I heard it being mentioned in this story, I did some searching. And it turns out it's a very common thing that other people wonder about. And the overwhelming evidence shows that it has to do with pressure releasing in pipes. And that's not to say ghosts can't play marbles in your ceilings, just like orbs aren't always flecks of dust on a camera lens. Yeah. But keeping it in the story felt like a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of thing. So I just wanted to mention it here. Have you ever heard that before? Like the marbles dropping or rolling around above your head? You know, now that you mention it, 
I have heard that in my house before, and I always mm-hmm. assumed it was rats or something. It's some I always assumed it was a critter. Yeah, but I've I've heard it. Yeah, I've definitely heard it. And it, thinking back on it, it does sound like marbles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It freaked me out all the time. Or like when you drop a golf ball yeah. on a hardwood floor, which I don't know how often that happens. Well, but... I, I mean, every morning <laughs> that's the first thing I yeah, do. Part of my daily routine. You know, it's funny. That brings back a memory. I was at a uh, like a, a Spencer's Gifts type store, but I, but it wasn't Spencer's. This was when I was really young, so it was like 1992 or three. And we were in the mall and had, they had a bunch of like prank toys, like gag gifts. And I remember picking up a golf ball that was just loose. It was just sitting on a, on a shelf. I picked up a golf ball and I threw it on the ground because I wanted to bounce it. And it exploded and dust went everywhere. It, it was in a prank. Store. It was, exactly. It was a prank golf ball that somebody had opened and just placed on the shelf. And I threw it on the ground and it exploded and powder went everywhere. It's supposed to explode when somebody hits it with a club. What'd you do then? I ran. I just ran. Good. I Good found boy. my parents and yeah, I was just like, God, I hope nobody saw that. That was one of my first embarrassing moments where I was like, oh my God, I hope nobody saw that. Do you remember being embarrassed as a kid or like for the first time when you felt that? Yes. In the second grade, I called my teacher mom in front of the whole class. Oh, I've done that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did that, that in kindergarten. <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to slip out of my suspenders and take a nap forever. But back onto the marbles, what about pogs? I feel like pogs were the next rage after marbles. I could be skipping a decade, but did you have pogs growing up? I think you skipped a lot of decades. I think marbles is like a really, really old game. But I mean, we're yeah, that's a few <laughs> centuries, let's be fair. But pogs, of course. Um, I remember... Being obsessed with pogs. I think we talked about how I had a friend as a kid that stole my pogs. I thought That's he was right. my friend. Yeah. Yeah. We talked and about that. We had the claw machine at the grocery store down the road that had pogs in it, which was really cool because you could get a bunch of pogs for like a quarter. Um, I loved them. In fact, I loved them so much that recently I bought a bunch of them online. I'd say last year. I got Animaniacs. I got a pack of random ones, uh, some gargoyles ones. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do love them. And Natalia and I played them a bit and had a lot of fun. I need to dig them back out and play again. Yeah, I think I'm going to get some. I can bring some with me next time I visit. There's a pack of four Power Rangers Slammers from 1994 for 10 bucks on eBay right now. You should get that. I had a really yeah. thick Power Rangers Slammer. It was like an inch thick. My favorite one was this shiny green alien head with this purple cosmic backdrop. And I think that's what Hell yeah. made purple and green be my favorite colors. Hell yeah. Mine was probably like a Goosebumps book, like that whole aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the alien stuff when we were kids was huge. It was huge. Mm -hmm. Those sticker machines with the cardboard that slides out and then you can flip it open. Okay, so we have this old, I say old timey, but we have this pizza parlor here in town that deserves the title pizza parlor. It's dim inside, a bunch of booths. They have tables on top of barrels, like tabletops on top of barrels. Uh, The red translucent cups. Yes, they have the red translucent cups. They have a a little arcade with actual games in it, including Pac-Man. They also have a bunch of those sticker things that you put the 50 cents in, turn them and crank the stickers out. I've got a stack of them in my closet right now. The only thing is they suck now. The stickers are lame. Are they like of the Jonas Brothers or something? What what are they (laughs) putting in the machines? They're like 
puns. They're like puns on brand names. It was the big one where it was just like instead of Subway, it would say like Thugway or something, something really stupid. <laughs> wow. Just super cringy stuff. Yeah, there, there weren't any good stickers. But needless to say, I got to take you to the pizza parlor when you visit, man. It's a great experience and the best pizza in town. That's a funny coincidence because just last night I was reading an article about the first roundtable pizza, hmm. which is still in operation in Menlo Park, California. We got to go there because okay. the son of the owner, the original owner, still operates that location and he refuses to sell. He's been offered $20 million because it's in this really hot spot there in the Bay Area. And yeah, I got to go. We got to go. And it actually made me tear up. I'm going to send you the article. It's really sweet. Oh, wow. It looks cool. Something about it, just the whole story and nostalgia. It did. It made me tear up just a little bit. Maybe my lost childhood, but Roundtable was always the spot to go as far as chains same after the little league games and all that yeah ours sometimes we would go to pizza hut but round table was the king uh and this one looks great this one looks all like old-fashioned like very old-fashioned it almost looks german yeah the half timbered framing and that whole chitty chitty bang bang king arthur thing they've got going on it's great I got to ask you, we haven't had a doppelganger story in a while. Those are some of the creepiest stories to me. Um, I was listening to, I actually just saw a clip of this podcast. I haven't even started listening to it yet, but I'm going to dive in because it was really interesting. It's called The Most Haunted City on Earth the Savannah by the Savannah Underground. They had a clip on Instagram that just popped up for me. And it was one of the hosts talking about mirror doppelgangers. And it's how our doppelgangers are created by the mirrors. The longer we stare in the mirror, the, the more the doppelganger is learning about us and absorbing us, and that's where our doppelgangers are born. They're born in mirrors? In the mirrors, yeah. Your doppelganger's born in the mirror, and then it projects itself out into the real world. Interesting. Yeah, he, he brought up, have you ever actually like looked in the mirror, you know, when you're under the influence or something, it just doesn't look right. It It doesn't really look like you. You know what I mean? It's like, you're looking at somebody else. I transformed into a werewolf. Yeah. You look like you're looking at somebody else in the mirror and it just doesn't look right. And it got me thinking about the ring, which is the scariest movie in the world to me. Uh, I know it's not a super scary movie, but it scares me personally a lot particularly just the video that they watch. And I probably talked about this. We've probably talked about everything in the past, but there's that scene where the woman is brushing her hair, looking in the mirror. And then I think she turns and looks at you and the woman in the mirror doesn't move. And that, for some reason, that scared me so bad. I know what you mean. Anything with mirrors where it doesn't align with the movement of the original person. Yeah, that does it for me too. It's really, really weird. Speaking of hair brushing, my dad was at a city council meeting the other day and he said some guy in the middle of talking, he just takes out a hairbrush and starts brushing his hair. (laughs) I know. I know. Some like 50 year old man just brushing his hair while talking about city politics. I wonder if it was a dare. That's stupid. Uh, yeah, so most haunted city on earth. I got to check it out. They also talked about this book that the guy got this idea from. It was, they were calling it the mirror lore book. Nobody's been able to find this book. They've have, they have all their listeners on a mission to find out what book this was. Cause he doesn't know exactly what it was called, but it had this theory in it and a bunch of other stories about mirrors, like bloody Mary, that kind of thing, you know? And he said, it looked a lot like uh, an older style book, like a time life book. And so I'm going to be on the lookout for that book, but shout out to the most haunted city on earth podcast. I'm going to check you out. Uh, if you guys somehow get wind of this, let's have you on. We'd love to talk about doppelgangers and creepy stuff with y'all. 
Well, anyways, have you settled into the new house? Have you blessed it with sage or anything? Well, I'm completely moved out of the old house. I don't think I'll be completely moved in for another month or so, but I have saged it and used some Palo Santo. Big thanks to Megan and M, who were kind enough to respond to my call to action and mail me some. So hopefully the ghosts stay away and I don't hear any loud bangs at night. Thank you so much. Nice. Good. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it when you when you send us those types of things. I actually had a, a Let's Not Meet listener send me a bunch of crystals and some sage, and I still have it all. It's great. That's super cool of you guys. Anyways, thank you all for listening. This week you have heard Tornado Dreams by Rana, Shadow People in Singapore by Amukdor, Night Visitor by Rochelle, Trouble in Connecticut by Jason, The House on the Creek by Io Let's Go 12345, Cowboy Ghost by Emily, and finally, My Dad's House by Ellie. All the stories you heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you want to hear your story on the show, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And don't forget to sign up for our Patreon if you really want to support the show and get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate, which means the best listening experience. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash oddtrails. And don't forget to check out the new episodes of my other podcasts, Let's Not Meet a True Horror podcast the old time radio cast and welcome to paradise it sucks you can find it all at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts see you next week stay safe peace out